Welcome all those in our simulcast, a whole bunch of our folks. Where do you think, if you had to guess, where do you think they are? At the beach. Someone said Myrtle Beach. Yes, specifically, there's some at the beach, the coast, uh, some watching in restaurants, and some all around, I know, enjoying the day wherever they are. We're blessed, though, through the technology, and technology is not inherently evil or good. How we use it, we're glad to use it. Thank you for watching with us today. Today's message has something to do with every person in this room and those that are listening. Before I get into the message quickly, I just want to say thank you so much for last week. Um, Those that were able to come and had no better sense than to not stay home came out last night, I mean last Sunday night, for the celebration of 20 years here. Just want to thank you. You've made it an honor and a privilege to serve with you. I've watched you give, serve, sacrifice, pull together. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that our personnel committee decided we're just going to celebrate Jesus. We're going to celebrate God and, and, and his call and what he does. And I was blessed that God called me here, and I'm blessed to have served with you. Every gift and ability I have, Deuteronomy chapter 8 tells me, comes from God. So I'm blessed just to use it for him and blessed like you that we can return something to him of all that he's given to us. So I just could tolerate something like that because all the glory goes to him, truly goes to him. And he gives us the gifts and the ability to do it just like I see in you, and I thank God for that. And I'm blessed to be used as God has made us and God gives us a call. I've never felt, never felt worthy of any call and would never call myself, but because of the way God engineered me and made me and, as I said last week, never got over my salvation, I'm blessed to have been here and to serve with such a lovely, lovely group of believers. I've watched you give so many times above and beyond. Thank you for serving in such a way to your Lord Jesus Christ. I thought it's fitting that we read some truth from children from some of the cards. And by the way, I know many, many of you spent a lot of time writing down some sentiments. I just want to say to each and every one of you, Every single card, note, child to senior adult will go through, read, enjoy. It's, it's just it's a blessing and an honor. And over the years, to see some of the beautiful things you've been written in encouragement and blessing just means so much. Thank you. I haven't, you know, we haven't gotten all the cards at this point by any means. We're slow readers anyway. But anyway... Thank you. We are blessed every single word. We receive it. We hear it. I, I wish there was the time I could express to each one of you individually sentiments from my heart, but I want to say corporately, thank you. I love you. You are the best. Not because of what you've done for me, per se, although you've done so much for me, but because who you are in Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. Thank you for making 20 years of great, great joy and seeing so many of the victories God has given us over the years. And now for some truth from children as they wrote some of their sentiments. And children have a great tendency to tell the... See, they do. They want, Can children learn things coming to worship? Well, it says from this child, you make this church... Batter, B-A-T-T-E-R. <laughs> but wait, it says underneath it, get it, and then it's got a piece of cake, batter. <laughs> I like that, right? 
This child does my joke writing each and every Sunday, except that's better than anyone I've ever told, the truth be known. Okay. And this one, there's a lot of spiritual perception that comes from children. This one addresses me. He says, thank you for preaching to the church about God. And then there's a stick figure of me saying, time to get to Bubba jokes. (laughs) The highly theological Bubba jokes. And let's see this one. Uh, uh, I, it's it, transparency of children. It says, this is for my anniversary. I think my handwriting is bad. Sorry, but thank you for 20 years. <laughs> I thought so. Like that. Okay. Thank you for being my pester for that long. I li- <laughs> this one. You can see who takes priority in this child's mind. On the top of it, it says Bubba. Then underneath it says Dr. Joe. It says, P.S., give candy to the left balcony. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I was laughing from my belly opening up some of these cards. Here's a a dear, sweet sentiment. meant a lot to me. It says, happy 20th anniversary. And it says, happy 20th. You're the best pastor I've ever had. P.S. You're the only pastor I've ever had. (laughs) Anyway, that's our section on Bubba jokes today, but I'm glad our children have a great sense of humor. Thank you, parents, for raising your children with the love of Jesus in your home. Be able to come, and I know you're not going to get every single point that ever comes from a message, but young people, thank you for listening well. There will be more candy throughout the year even to the left side of the balcony. Today we're talking about a word called ambition. Ambition is something that is wonderful. It's found in the Bible. And it's not inherently or it's, it doesn't mean, ambition doesn't mean necessarily that it's good or necessarily that it's bad. What kind of ambition? Jesus wants all of his people to have godly ambition. So today we're looking at an episode that has to do with some brothers. I'm familiar with brothers being one of five and understand about the dynamics and brothers and families. But whether you have brothers or not, it's okay. You understand the dynamic of humanity. And so we start today. As Jesus is getting ready to go to Jerusalem, he said, I must go to Jerusalem. He's told them already that he must go and suffer and die. He must suffer at the hands of, of, of the Gentiles, of those that rejected him, his own people. And it's not going to be pretty. The words, maybe you parents will relate this a little bit better. Sometimes you can tell your young person, don't forget to turn off the lights and clean your room. And those words are still floating up in space somewhere. We don't know what happened. Sometimes we can hear things but not listen to things. Jesus has been telling them, bring up the passage now. As Jesus is getting ready to make that march into Jerusalem to be flogged and rejected, spit upon, hung on a cross. It says in Mark 10.35, then James and John, parenthetically, they're approaching and going on the way to Jerusalem. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, teacher, they said, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. 
Now, what parent in their right mind would have their young person say that to them and say, okay, what is it? But they have the audacity on this day as the moment is arriving and they're beginning to panic because they believe that Jesus is getting ready to go to Jerusalem and set up his material kingdom. And so they wait for this time when they can be a little bit alone with Jesus and want to get him and see if they can cajole Jesus into agreeing to that. Do whatever we ask. Jesus, we, we've got you now. Do whatever we want. None of us have ever prayed a prayer like that, right? So we see some fallacies right off the bat. We see some selfish ambition. And sinful ambition seeks, well, it seeks personal greatness. And James and John want to get the jump on the other disciples. And there's some reasons that they do. People tend to like wealth, power, authority, greatness, recognition. And they're thinking once Jesus gets in and he takes over this whole world, he, he's healed people, he's even raised the dead, he makes food, he does all these miraculous things, he speaks into the wind and calms the winds and the seas. When he takes over, Jesus, we don't want too much. Can one of us sit on your right and your left so we can look really cool? And look like we're the bosses also. Can we have all that power and recognition for ourselves? And they want to get the jump on the other disciples. So as crafty as human beings can be, they get them kind of alone to do that. You can see what happens. And not only did they go themselves, it tells us in the book of Matthew, they persuaded their mother to go with them. Now, their mother, by the way, if you look in the Word of God, you'll find she's one of the women who goes to the cross with Jesus. Many people think that their mother, James and John's mother, was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so there's even a family connection. Look at all the clout we have. We'll use, that never happens in churches, by the way. But we'll use our family connection to get on a committee or do something. And so, blinded by their recognition, mom goes, and she's there as part of the whole group, and the disciples have to be smelling something's not right here, okay? So, they're blinded for their hunger, for this power, this recognition, and it reveals, their blindness is, un, is revealed in this unlimited request. It's actually kind of crazy, but once again, all of us being human beings have asked God, whatever it is, God, I need this, I want this, do this for me. Matthew 23, 12 says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. There's a biblical principle that's the opposite of the world. Self-exaltation will bring about humiliation. And people that go to seat themselves at the head of the table, Jesus said, be careful. The, guest, the, 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 the host may tap you on the shoulder and say, wait a minute, that's for someone else. Go sit in the back. Humility looks good on all people especially believers who believe in the humble Jesus. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. There's a biblical formula. The Word of God talks about that. So as we continue on, we see that Jesus replies, what do you want me to do for you? Okay? The trap is set, isn't it? And Jesus says to all of us, what do you want me to do for you? Even when we pray, even when we're going through a day, what is it you want me to do for you? Will you use my power, i.e.? Will you use my principles to incorporate that in life and be a blessing, to be a light, to be a witness? 
What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, Jesus, since you're going to suffer so much, we're willing to suffer and die too. No, they don't reply that. Look at what the Word of God says. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. So when you come in and take over the whole thing, we don't want too much. We just want to have a big part of this and part of the recognition of this. Leaving the others out. Selfish ambition. And now we get to see some of the dynamics of the human experience because they want to have power. They completely misunderstood the greatness in the kingdom. Totally misunderstood it. It happens today. It's happened back then. It'll happen until Jesus comes back. People want to have their recognition power. They want to have their self-acceptance, their self-worth based on stuff. And ladies and gentlemen, it never lasts. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. Stuff is wonderful. I've been blessed with more than I could ever imagine. But stuff doesn't have to own a person. God bought us with Jesus Christ's blood on the cross. And when you are under that relationship, you have done the, you'll never do anything finer than that by having Christ in your life and knowing that no matter what happens on this earth, you're connected to the dearest and best. You're connected to eternity. Jesus said, what good would it be anyway? If someone gained the whole world and lost their own soul, you realize there are people that leave the earth every day for way less than the whole world. And, and they lose their own soul. They missed out on the greatest gift of life. And so we see a misdirected perspective here. What do you want me to do for you? And so these motives are revealed. It determines whether ambition is either good or evil. It's the motives. And James and John's motives are exposed. They want wealth. Well, lots of people want wealth. There's nothing inherently evil with wealth. In fact, some wealthy people in the Bible provided a tomb for Jesus. Others opened up their larger homes and used it. There's nothing inherently evil in, in, in wealth and possessions. It's what they're used for and what they're about. And so wealth is exposed. Bring up the next slide. We also see that in the Bible, the, it talks about favoritism. And certainly bringing in mom, bringing in a family relationship, being Peter, James, and John are part of the three that Jesus had that inner circle. They thought, I must be the most favorite. And sometimes people in positions of power, whether they be pastors, committee members, long-standing members of a church can think, I've got way more favoritism with God. But it says in the Word of God in Acts 10.34, Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, does he? Same price was paid for every person on the earth for their sin. The life, the blood and life of Jesus Christ. They also wanted some power. That still exists today. 1 Corinthians 10.24, Nobody should seek his own good but the good of others. They were seeking their own good. They wanted wealth. They wanted favoritism. They wanted some power to be on there and all the trappings that, of course, come with that. They also wanted something else called status. And in Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And one thing I love about Bible-believing churches you can be in here and living from hand to mouth or in this room and have millions of dollars. Our committees 
serving as a deacon, serving anywhere is not based on a bank account. It's based on servanthood. And when names come before our pastoral staff to look for such positions, we're looking for people to give evidence of love of Jesus and service in his kingdom, period. Whether you have a whole lot or a whole little in the kingdom of God, if you have him as your Lord and Savior and you're serving him, that's the qualification. So status, listen, dear friend, when Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, when you give him authority in your life and and you're serving him, you'll never have higher status in your life. You're connected to the creator of the universe that paid the debt for our sin. It's unbelievable. There is, there within lies status, and there lies self-affirmation from God himself. The passage goes on in verses 38 and 39. And perhaps you've heard this in the back of your mind as you've asked for something or prayed for something. Jesus says, you don't know what you are asking. Imagine, stop with me for just a moment. Imagine if you knew everything about your future that God knows. How would it change your prayer life? So they don't know yet. They're not sure yet. But that what they do know is they love wealth. They love power. They love authority. They love to be favored. They love to be in a position where they have status. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. They don't know what that means yet. Keep going. You see, they don't know what they're asking because there's a great price for godly ambition. I don't make any bones about it. There's a price for all kinds of ambition, isn't there? If you're going to work hard at something, there's a great, great price for that. I've got different self-help books that help with ambition in life, even for pastors. This one, it says it's a guide to self-improvement and sermon delivery. If you're ambitious and want to develop that, you can buy a book that tells you how to do that. You just turn to the last page and just shut up after about 20 minutes. Well, I already blew that. (laughs) Threw that one out. This one, Can the Pastor Do It Alone? Another great book. And a classic What they didn't teach you in seminary. Look how thick that one is, right? There's lots of self-help books that if you're an ambitious pastor for God, you can read and help improve some of the things, some of the looks, clear up some of the nearsightedness of what church is really about, what your calling's really about. And all of us need to look at that and say, God, what do you have for me? So they didn't know what they're asking. They didn't know about the price of that ambition. So Jesus says, can you drink the cup I drink? Now, what that's talking about is, where does the drink go? When we drink it, it goes inside of us. Jesus is getting ready to go to Gethsemane. And he's talking about a couple of different kinds of suffering. The first of all, first of all the cup. Can you drink that cup? Can inwardly, can you process some of the agony, some of the hurt, some of the disappointment, some of the disillusionment, some of the pain that you will feel emotionally if you follow after me? Can you drink that in? Can you drink in some of the agony of watching some of the things that will happen to the church? Can you drink in people that just look at you and don't like you? 
Can you hear some of the comments? You'll hear them yelling to me when I'm climbing up a hill, slandering my name. Can you deal with that inward pain? And James and John, can you be baptized with my baptism? Which is baptism being an outer sign of an inward act. And that's talking about persecution. Can you bear that in your body? Can you go through and be willing to die for me, the external? Can you deal with the internal pain, the external pain, the persecution? Can you deal with that? We can. Well, it's coming then. It's coming. And we learn some things from that, of course, because James becomes the first apostle to be martyred. Herod kills him. Isn't that amazing? Becomes the first one. So it became true, didn't it? John goes on. He, too, is baptized with the cup and the baptism because John, who lives to be almost 100, think about this, same family, one dies, first martyr, second one, 100 years, but he is exiled to the island of Patmos. And during that, we don't know of all the different things that happened to him along the way. Some of it's not pretty. We know they both had to drink a cup and be baptized in that. And they did. But they didn't know what they were asking because the thing, the ambition they were looking for would have been fleeting ambition. Jesus, give us the gold, the silver, the thrones, the power, the status. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you more than that because you know today there was a lot of people on the earth that were wealthier than James and John, even though their father was probably quite wealthy. He was successful fishing business. Zebedee sold fish to the palace. He supplied them with fish. So they came from some wealth and desired more wealth and thought maybe they're deserving of more wealth. But Jesus gave them way more than that because I still know their name today and so do you. But the names of those wealthy people, I don't know. The names of the power brokers back then, I don't know. They exchanged some things that were temporal. And they became those that we still know today because they got the right perspective finally. Today you may not have the right perspective, but I ask today that you consider giving Jesus charge of your life, lordship of your life, follow him as your Savior and your Lord. He will bless you. As the Word of God goes on, it tells us in verse 40 and 41 of Mark 10, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When, what? When the ten heard about this, uh-oh, uh-oh, they said, that's really good of them to go do that and get in front of us. It says they became indignant with James and John. Look up the word in your concordance. Indignant doesn't mean happy. And don't forget, Peter's one of those. If you've ever seen a coach disagree with an umpire in a ball game where they're face-to-face like this, and spits flying, and you know what they're saying isn't blessing them. It's not a prayer. It's just right. Peter's probably in their face. What are you going behind our back? And it says they became indignant. And here Jesus is getting ready to do everything he's going to do for us. And here they are fighting. This massive fight breaks out because it didn't mean they became indignant and stood there like this. That was too bad. They're going at it. It's flying at this point. And so 
we see that selfish ambition is like cancer. It spreads. That selfishness spreads to the group that should have been focused on what Jesus was going to deal with. Instead, it gets sidetracked like it does in so many churches, so many Bible study groups that can get sidetracked. Inside so many pastors that get sidetracked and miss the main thing for selfish ambition. I've told it before, but it bears repeating about a field, super, a field supervision student that I had as an intern when I was in Texas. Remains nameless. I remember the name, remember the situation very poignantly. After several weeks serving in the church, doing some things and working, he said to me, these are last year's seminary students, had many of them, but this particular one said, Pastor, as he leaned forward on my desk, do you think I have what it takes to pastor a large church? Not even a millisecond or a blink of my eye, I just looked right there in his face and that fast said, no. I didn't say another thing because I wanted him to speak next. Because I knew he would. There's the, I didn't qualify it. I knew he would want the qualifier. I knew he would. His countenance fell because he was good looking and could articulate some positions in life, made great grades. Finally just said, why? Why'd you say that? I said, because you asked the wrong question. You should have asked, am I worthy enough to be a servant in the kingdom of God to serve with the people that you have redeemed that will give their volunteer time, their resources, their care, their prayers, who will come and sacrifice their vacations to teach children, that will come here and work out in the yard on work days and be able to come early and set up classrooms that will give to the needy that will bless others, that will put off buying their own vehicles, put off going to certain places to serve the kingdom of God. Do you think I have what it takes? Well, sir, you're beginning to understand it. It's a privilege to stand and serve for me and for you. It's a privilege. They didn't get that yet. And that cancer spread, and churches that spread self-ambition from pulpits and out in congregations are cancerous. That's why I'm so grateful that the cancer level in this church is not. And I'm blessed. Thank you for modeling that in this community and in your home. Next slide, please. <clears throat> Jesus had heard enough. You can tell by this, it says, Jesus called them together because this thing isn't pretty, right? It's ugly. They're blah, 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 blah. He calls them together, and we don't know what he said, but I'd love to have, if, they show, if they're showing videos in heaven, watch this day in the life of Jesus, I'd love to see that. It says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, he couldn't have said it any worse because the Jews and Gentiles, the Jews despise the Gentiles, who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, parenthetically, and you act just like them. That's what you are. You're like the people you despise. You hate it in them, but that's what you want to be because they weren't fighting about... Uh, 
the, the idea, well, I wasn't deserving to be sitting at Jesus' side. They were saying, I should have been the one. No, I should have been. No, we should have been. No, I. No, they were fighting because of their own self-ambition, just like people do all the time. And Jesus says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. How ironic. They just missed it. They just did not get it. And so we see some things. The greatness of godly ambition. And there's a cost to it. It's not to rule. It's not to exercise authority. But it's to be a servant. And Jesus is a supreme example. Thank you. Some that have been here, as I said earlier, 20 years. Some have been here. I met some people, folks that were here today. First time. Some second time that will be coming to join us serving your Lord. None of us get it done perfectly. Please, let me say that. Let me just start with me. But I know that you seek that, and when you fail, you get up, and you continue to serve your Lord. And that's why God's done some great and powerful things over the years in this place. That's what it's all about. There's nothing wrong with ambition. The question begs, do you have selfish ambition or godly ambition? There's a person here that had a lot of ambition in this other book that I left to the end. A lot. He, what an ambitious person. When I read about some of the training he went through and some of the things he did, but he used it for God. His name is Tim Tebow. You don't have to be an athlete to appreciate that. He wrote his book, Through My Eyes, and tells a great story about life. First of all, he shouldn't even have been born, and lots of things in there. But as he tells the story... You can see that a lot of people painted in his life. You don't know their names until you read the book. He had an uncle. As Tim Tebow made many mission trips to the Philippines where his parents and his family did a lot of work, he had an uncle that gave a whole lot of money to an orphanage there. And a young boy went there and watched his life change. That one knows about the uncle. But see, many of you are planting seeds and some of the young people we have here. Well, Pastor, I really don't because I don't teach them. Yes, you do. You help supply our means to do it. I didn't make it to VBS, Pastor. Not my gift. You don't have to. You're part of it because you're part of this body. And this man, with not even been in the NFL in a long time, still sells jerseys. They still cover him wherever he goes. He gets to be a newscaster. He's playing baseball. He's one of the most famous non-starting athletes you could ever find. He's famous more than a lot of the starting athletes because God has raised him up. The Word of God says, humble yourself, I'll raise you up. I will. And look what God did. But some other people planted in his life just like you. Thank you for doing that. As pastors come forward, there's godly ambition, and God will use it. And you see, all that's going to last. All of that will And when they made fun of him for praying in the end zone and called it cheesy and self-serving, he wasn't doing it self-serving. He was truly thanking God. They didn't like that. You see, the tolerant world didn't like that he would thank God for that, pretending like he was some phony because he's not a phony. He's given more time and not just, he's given more money and material things, but he's given up his time. He goes there. The Philippines, if you've ever been there in the summer, is not the coolest place in the world, Nathan. You probably realize that. Did it because he loved Jesus and continues to use it for that. What a blessing that is. That's God's.
key to greatness. Humble yourself, I'll raise you up. And he did, and he's done it for you. And I'm blessed that he has. Today, God may have spoken some truth into your life from this message. If he has, we have an opportunity for you to come here and pray alone or pray with one of our pastors. Secondly, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to come as a candidate for membership today. You simply come forward. We're going to ask you if you've received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, introduce you to one of our pastors or deacons, get some information. A new members class is starting in a couple of weeks, isn't it? August 4th. There you go. Breakfast, lunch, a lot of berry and some other pastors coming. It's going to be a great time. We'd love for you to be a candidate, find out more about our church. And be part of this body. It's a great body to be in. And today also, you may have heard it a million times. Trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Here's the news. I'd like to just say it so plainly. The people in this group today that have believed in Jesus, here's what they believe. They believe they could never earn their way to heaven. That heaven's going to be a perfect place. That Jesus Christ, because he loves us, took our punishment for sins upon the cross because the Bible says the wages of sin is death, which is separation from God. But Jesus brought that relationship back together because he died in our place, took our punishment because he loved us. He was God who took on flesh. They crucified him. He bled and died, rose from the grave three days later and offers eternal life as a gift if you'd receive it. Then, after that, You don't serve Christ to be saved or earn something. You serve him out of thankfulness, love, and gratefulness. The only way that you can truly love God, not because you have to, but because of what he's already done. That is true biblical Christianity. That is why I love serving with you. You're not serving to get. You serve because you've already been given. Thank you for doing that. I'm going to ask you to stand. Don't wait. Respond as God has prompted you in your heart to respond to this message.